Everybody, welcome to another edition of Show to V with Mike G, the show of a life, the show of Brazil, the show of a classical piano practicing law, Houston, DC, New York, but above all of these other things, today's conversation with Nate Casablanca, White House of Avoir, is about cachaça. Avoir cachaça, one of the more delicate and beautifully packaged cachaças I've ever seen, and I must share with you that the night prior to my wedding. I and a few others consumed an entire bottle of the Avoir Amberana, aged in these massive 20-foot casks, this endangered wood. It's a brilliant spirit and something really worth sipping. Nate and I chat about that and much more, and so I hope you guys enjoyed this chat with Nate Casablanca Whitehouse, co-founder of Avoir Cachaça. Absolutely. It's so I mean, cool. you're really, and you're trying to. I mean, what I find interesting is, you know, with music. Yeah. I, like I studied classical music, main thing. Oh wow! And like, you, what you're trying to do is you're trying to take this culture, and you're trying to summon it, and express it to someone else, right? Yeah. And that's very similar to what I feel like I'm doing with this. It's like, you know, what is that? What is that emotion that people have around Brazil? What is that? That beautiful experience. Oh yeah. And taking it and almost distilling it into. An experience and then trying to get it out there to the world man yeah that's beautiful because i for a minute i was like oh you're talking about the cachaça like no music's the same way it, yeah you think about it, it totally is it totally is so speaking of because i love classical we we talk about the piano downstairs and my mom tossed me into piano lessons mm-hmm. at the bright old age of nine years old and, um, i am very <laughs> as, as happens as yeah. happens <laughs> <laughs> i love it you know i love that she did that i didn't like it at the time like i don't want to play piano play guitar like a real <laughs> you know the guy who gets all the chicks that, yeah, that yeah. never worked ever, by the way. but so what what were some of the guys that really were influential for you compose compositionally yeah i mean i think that for me the you know there's the great three you know bach beethoven Brahms, mm. uh, or mozart maybe yeah. you know and, and bach i think is probably the most influential because he you know he, he the way he thinks about music is so is so refined yeah. and so like complex that everything else kind of you know stems from that. Gotcha. It all kind of descends from that in a certain way. Yeah, Beethoven certainly does. Yeah, Beethoven certainly does. You know, Brahms. I would say, is Brahms a contemporary of Beethoven or shortly after? I can't remember exactly. Uh, maybe about 50, 60 years, something like that. Something pretty like close. That. So but Bach certainly at the tail end of the Baroque period into classical, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to get academic for a second. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I also really, you know, I always loved like. I, I love Brazilian music. Yeah. You know, I really kind of got, I mean, more kind of the popular stuff like the Tropicalia, mm-hmm. you know, Bossa Nova. And that's, that's I think, was the first thing that really drew me towards Brazil. Oh, really? Um, was it the, the off-time signatures? Because those are always yeah. often swank in, in a sense, right? Six, what is it, like a three, four, six, eight kind of thing, typically? I mean, it's um, not to get in the theory too much, but it is, it is that's swung. That's a good question. It's I, I, moving, I don't know. you know? Um, but I do know that, like, the, you know, what... I had a music teacher one time who was Brazilian, a piano mm. teacher, um, 
well, let's say a guy who gave me a few lessons, sure. Figali out of Fort Worth, and he was, you know, the Van Cliburn competition had had this kind of like brilliant classical mind, but also had like a really deep innate understanding of these Brazilian rhythms. And he was wow. like, you know, you go to these you go to these small villages in Bahia and people are playing seven against five, you know, without even thinking about it. Uh-huh. And, you know, that really kind of, you know, put the seed in my mind about like, what, what is so interesting about this culture? Yeah. And then over the years, I just started really loving like Caetano Veloso and, you know, Os Mutanches and like all these kind of amazing Brazilian acts that came out. And then when I first had the chance to go to Brazil, that was that did was it, it did it just <laughs> those doors like, just open yeah just enabled you like this is it I get it it all is, it's all clear now it all kind of you know came together for yeah me. that's amazing culturally and then we'll get and I absolutely want to get to you know how you discovered Brazil how you got introduced into sugarcane spirits and cachaça in particular but you're a Texas guy is that fair you said you're from yeah. Fort Worth is yeah that right? I grew, grew up in Fort Worth yeah I'm kind of a military brat so oh yeah know. where'd you get you guys move kind of all over the place then. You know, a little bit, a yeah. little bit. What branch? By the time, uh, Air Force. Air Force. My cool. dad was a pilot in the Air Force, and uh, we ended up landing in, in Fort Worth. That's that a good pun, by the way. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do, do my best. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when, I, but yeah, from Texas originally, and, you know, basically grew up here and was here until I was 25, 26. Oh, yeah. And then, Did you, and you said you went, so I, I always wonder, because we're all, you know, it's so strange. Here, here are like a couple, a couple of the, large archetypes that i've found out in the multiple conversations that i've had with people (laughs) and it's lovely i love it i love it i love that love drives much of the movement and much of the career choices right absolutely moving for a girl which (laughs) two leaving music that's the other one that's a huge that's that's super interesting right it's super interesting yeah well you know i mean it's interesting you look at like omar yeah. From 86. I know. Like he was, he was, he was, he was torn with a uh, rev. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just like, well, he, he, oh man, I can't wait to post that episode up. We had a good chat with him. That's awesome. With him talking about playing the rig from the Craig from the descendants, like his bass rig. <laughs> oh, I was like, no. oh shit. That's how we started off the conversation. Oh like, man. This is going to be a good conversation. That's awesome. <laughs> it is, right. Like, yeah, absolutely. Omar, Justin Elliott, he played. Florian, he played. Yeah. yeah all these dudes are music guys. You know what's interesting too? Like one of the people who really kind of was the the guiding light for us as far as Avoa was mm-hmm. this, um, this bar owner from New York. His name is Mike Neff. Mm-hmm. He owned Ward Three. Like he owns Holiday uh, Holiday Cocktail Lounge. Like he's a very well known New York bartender. Yeah. I knew the guy for years. Like how did you know him? Uh, richly through friends of a friend, and yeah. then he became really kind of a mentor to uh, to me and my business partner in lots of ways. Yeah. But you know, I was you know everybody loves Mike. He's this great kind of wonderful personality. Incredible bartender, incredible, you know, bar, you know, like a impresario pers- kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was driving around with him in Los Angeles one time. And he's like, you know, when I used to write plays. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Right? And, and this guy was a published playwright. Like he's had, he's, I mean, he's had stuff performed in like Scotland and <laughs> England and in, you know, Seattle and New York. And like, yeah. you know, it, it really kind of, it was interesting the way he talked about like, writing for actors and that's almost like you're setting the stage a bar is kind of setting the stage for this nightly drama right um it's, that's and it's a really interesting kind of everybody like, has their marks know. exactly <laughs> no wonder he transitioned into that it's it's just it, it's seriously the it, either it, the world is playing a massive prank on me by having everything be connected yeah <laughs> which is a, maybe it's a big hologram i don't know how people think it is yeah you know <laughs> or that's just how, how hospitality is. It is a parallel career and a parallel set of skills, mm. much to that of performing and music, 
much to that and writing and performing on stage is crazy, isn't it? I think that's a really interesting way, you know, yeah. and, and correct perspective on it. Like it's it's kind of this parallel career, but it's but it's everything is kind of linked in. I mean, it maybe it's yeah. maybe it's simply because it is like a truly offline, you know, network or uh, of people that like, you know, how many people does a bartender talk to in one day? Oh man. You know, maybe yeah. in a busy mar- in a busy bar like a thousand, yeah, maybe lots more. of people. And like you don't develop relationships with those people, but the level of connection that that person has is so interesting in our modern society where sometimes we're like kind of like siloed one from the other. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, in some ways it's really surprising that everyone knows one another, but at the mm-hmm. same time it's kind of like not surprising in a yeah. way too, you know? Like, it's so, it, it, do you ever wonder, and one of the things that's been, in, of course the, the show is filled with tangents, which I love because we're just, can, we're talking about whatever, right? But one of the things that's really, really, amazing to me is the things that i've been able just to talk to people about about their lives in this industry pre-industry post-industry whatever that their friends don't even know and that Uh, goes to show you that like kind of being in that spot of performing and getting into that groove or like you know i'm ready for my my close-up you know right sometimes we only really go so deep you know what i mean like interesting we only go back a year or we only go back two years and we never really go back and think about who we were that came to be like how did we get to this this place and that's the stuff that's the most fascinating is like mm. oh well you know and I, I was a touring musician for like with freaking omar like he was yeah, a touring yeah. musician <laughs> he was touring doing tour managing and stuff it's like that makes so much sense he's already equipped yeah i mean that is, that is really interesting because it's almost like you know in your life there are these certain fulcrum points yeah you know and you go through and maybe there's like people that you knew from before and people you knew after and like a lot of times there's overlap. Sure. But people almost don't even think about that fulcrum point. They're not even like, why did I make this move? <laughs> like, That's totally right. Like, yeah. like half the time, you know, I look back at my own life, like, I, I don't know why I made that move, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then you look back at the years later and you're like, oh, okay, okay, may- maybe that's why. I don't and know. maybe it's foggy <laughs> until it's not anymore. Maybe yeah. when the dust clears. Maybe it was just this massive destructive thing that kind yeah. of set you on your way. And then once all the ashes and the smoke settles, like, oh, now I get it. I see it. I see <laughs> like, it. Oh, okay, that's that's yeah. the, like, that's what I can pull from the from the ashes there. <laughs> exactly. Whether it's a good conversation or a bad one, or a sure. good decision or a bad one. And there's a nice mix of column A and column B. There yeah. has to be, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Always going back to, you know, moving for a girl, which is a lot yeah. of the, the yeah, time. Which is a lot of the, a lot of the things. Well, so when you, you know, we're talking about music. So how, what were you really aiming to study for then when you went to UT in, uh, in UT? UT in Dallas or UT here in Austin? Here, here in Austin. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, and you straight out of high school, eighteen? Yeah, straight out of high school. Basically, decided you know wanted to to do music, and you know whether that was. <laughs> you know, my parents were like, "Well, yeah." I was gonna say, what know? did your Air Force dad think about that? Because the Air Force is kind of the antithesis of being he, open and creative, and you know. You know, I think he he's always we've come from a very musical family, so he, yeah. you know, he was. Not sure how that would all play out for me, but he was the most supportive you know, I could possibly think of. And, uh, and yeah, I, you know, I just loved music. Like, that was the thing I loved more than anything at yeah. that point in my life and, and still probably do. But, you know, ended up moved at, moving down here, studied piano performance, uh, and, you know, just... I don't know if I knew what I wanted to do with my life. Right. Well, who? Do, well, I mean, who does? Yeah. Let's be yeah. when you're 18 or yeah, you know, or no. even now, you know, in my mid 30s, I'm like slightly clear, <laughs> but not that not much clear. Totally sure. <laughs> did, did your Did your mom or your dad play? Where'd the music influence come from? That kind of maybe that genetic predisposition to playing. You know, it, it, it's funny. My my dad is absolutely you know 
if you ever listen to this, I love you, Dad. But uh, <laughs> absolutely not musical at all. Uh, like yeah. he loves music. But my sisters, I have three older sisters, and they're all very, very musical. Really, um, they play piano as well. They're well. They're 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 singers. So they 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 play they do they play bluegrass pretty seriously. Oh, cool. Uh, so my so why you're in Kerrville? Yeah, it was it was one of the reasons. Oh, there we go. <laughs> well, okay. in in that area. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they are are great singers. Um, you know, my one of my older sisters is a, a good guitarist, and you know, I think that that you know, music music to me always comes from the voice. Like yeah. everything fundamentally arises from the human voice, and I think that's the best way to learn uh, to me, like how to express yourself musically. But you know, even even on an instrument. But you know, I think that's what I really learned from them was that passion for uh, for the sound and the yeah. voice and how particularly they're they were very beautiful uh, you know they they do a lot of like kind of canons they sing together oh wow and so i that kind of do they have that kind of like uncanny sibling ability to harmonize perfectly yeah it was really <laughs> <laughs> did you feel like the odd man out and was literally oh like absolutely yeah. yeah i mean normally when i'm singing with them I'm like <laughs> <laughs> okay you guys just go sound like the sirens that's fine exactly. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do my i'll just yeah, exactly. Poke away here at the, at the keys, you know. <laughs> were there any kind of genres and things that you were really into when you were growing up? It's you, we talk about classical. You mentioned some bluegrass, bluegrass as well. Is that predominantly the kind of stuff that you were listening to that got you kind of more motivated into music? Yeah, I mean, I think I've kind of gone through. I mean, maybe like many people mm-hmm. in the modern world, you know, I've gone through lots of different genres that I loved. I mean, I think the first thing I ever really loved was like, as far as like a, a young kind of music aficionado was mm-hmm. like. I remember getting Appetite for Destruction. Oh, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> Right there with you. Columbia House. Thank you. Columbia yeah, exactly. House. <laughs> that and Countdown to Extinction I got in this yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I can handle this at this age. This might change everything too quickly for me. It's like, get, get yeah. the pens, right? Like, I can't rise this fast. And I'll, just, I'll die. You know? So what did that do? Did that just like open it all up? You know, I think that that just, you know, that really, you know, taught me about the power of music. Like, yeah. Just the way it can like change your mental state so quickly, and you know, and in, in this, it almost changes you in, in some ways to, into someone who you're not, like right. in a moment. Which sure. I really was found. I, I mean, I'm, I'm intellectualizing it now. But no, like, I, but I like you know, it. I think you're right. Uh, but yeah, I mean that, and that kind of led me to uh, like I liked rap a lot. So yeah. like you know, uh, the Ghetto Boys. Oh yeah, was like one of the first albums that I got, and then I think I liked that kind of like dramatic, you mm-hmm. know like maybe rock yeah and, and like darker styles of music and that's really what led me into classical music like the darkest jeez which which yeah is like it is mad dark like <laughs> there are no lyrics but it doesn't even matter it'll take you on that take you to that place you know and, and then i just kind of fell in love with the craft of it i mean there's, there's such a, like a a deep um like emotional source there yeah. but it's also like the intellectual stimulation of it the physical stimulation. If you wanted to be really, you know, uh, if you know, I was I was talking to this with a, a friend who's who's um, works in, in in the arts, and mm-hmm. we were kind of talking. But it's almost like if you really want to be good at music, and particularly like that style of classical music, it's yeah. almost like it's almost a uh, not to get too dramatic, but it's yeah. almost like a a worship thing. Like it's like a it's like a god that you have that. It's, it's very hard. It's a very harsh God. Yeah. But it's a very rewarding God. Well, certain, that commi- <laughs> like, commitment if, if, to, to any that kind of, no, for sure. Yeah, like, commitment to the, any kind of craft like that. Like yeah. a really true craft. Like yeah. to some bourbon is God. I mean, yeah. I, that is not a stretch. A- absolutely, you know? absolutely. And Mezcal, same thing. It, it defines a narrative. It defines 
uh, language. I mean, it yeah. defines all of this stuff. And music is no different. And there is that difference, though. And man, in this, God, this, I never thought we would be talking about it in this way, but that level of dedication to one thing to get it right and to be completely ensconced and enveloped in the culture, the history, the sounds, and all that, like the the true artist's lifestyle, right? Yeah, that's yeah, kind of what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like that's maybe what's kind of missing now. You know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. You know, you look at like, why do people find going to this little Nahuatl village in Michoacan and like trying to understand like this culture? Why, why do we as modern gringos in the most, you know, right. one of the most sophisticated economies in the world, are why are we interested in seeing, you know, how people, you know, cut agaves by hand and search for them in the mountains? Yeah. It's because it's you almost lose that. Like, like that to me was what I found interesting about like art or, yeah. or classical music it, it requires such incredible dedication and it brings you man so and, and, and the same thing yeah you're totally oh man brilliant because it brings you closer to what the pure essence of music is and that is emotion a hammer and mm. a know it which is the simplest part right and you know it's it's really interesting you say that because i remember uh, a piano professor here uh, betty mallard at, mm -hmm. at, at university of texas who's since retired I remember her, her saying this one to me one time, and she probably she doesn't even remember saying this, but she was like, just go in your practice room and for 15 minutes, hit the A key. Just yeah. hit it, let it echo, hear all the decays, yeah, and then rest, do it again. <laughs> and you know, that, that, that to me is like, that's what I find interesting about spirits, particularly something like yeah. mezcal or, or cachaca or something, or you know, something that's very you know linked to the prime essence of yeah. the of the a plus the b equals c the, it's it's not hiding behind any in, it's not hiding behind coloring it's not hiding behind superficiality yeah which yeah. is what a lot of things happen. yeah so yeah. we got to get to that that part of the journey then so you're at ut you graduate with an undergraduate in music performance uh, especially in piano i presume and then you're you're like all right cool well, i'm gonna go to carnegie now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, tell, tell me how how you uh, got out of school. Did you did you go back? Did you do grad work as well? Or well, I you know I I was in probably my third year, and I uh, <laughs> and I met the the girl who would become ex wife. Oh um, yeah, yeah, which is that's an interesting way of saying sure. it. But uh, so we got pretty serious, and you know I think part of being in a relationship when you are when you are so devoted to like uh, you know a, an art like that is. It it, may, it it puts things in the middle of the relationship sometimes. You've got two partners. You got two partners, yeah. right? Like, did, you see, <laughs> did you ever see Whiplash by chance? No, no. Oh, okay, you see it? that? Yeah, because there's this distinct point in which this guy who's a drummer—I mean, he's a drummer, right? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> he makes that choice. He's like, "Sorry, we can't date anymore." Yeah, and it's yeah. rough. And as a viewer, you're like, "Ooh, like, oh man. wow!" And then he, <laughs> then he realizes he fucked up, and he tries to get back. Right. Up. But, yeah, so, so, but yeah, so would it? Did that continue to create more of a wedge between the three of you? It, in a certain way, I mean, I think that you know that started a, a complicated part of my life. But yeah. uh, you know, I I started doing a biochemistry degree as well. Oh, really? And then basically finished both of those. And you know, at the time, I thought, well, you know, I would really, I wanted to be a musician professionally but i realized i just didn't have the chops you know I, I realized i just wasn't you know to be to to perform at that level and maybe that was you know Did, what was that moment like is i mean because i the moment that you realize maybe you're not going to make it as a musician it was it was a it was a profoundly uh you know 
depressing is not exactly the word. Maybe, sure. de- maybe depressing no, is the I word. Bet, like, I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, and, and, you know, it's one of those like life changing moments where you're like, okay, you know, maybe I'm not, maybe that, maybe this isn't the path for me or, yeah. or maybe this path will come up for me later in life, but this is not the path for me for, right for now. now. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. Cause it always comes back. With, it, and that's the thing. It, 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 it it always comes back, and in yeah. my sense, I really feel like it has come back. That's amazing. But yeah, then then I so I finished both those degrees, and then I worked. I went down to Houston. I worked in the the, the medical center in the Human Genome Project for a couple of years. Oh, amazing! Recently. At Memorial, uh, at Baylor. At Baylor. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm from from Houston. Too. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, great great med- medicine programs down there for sure. In the Houston, so you worked for Human Genome Project. Yeah, yeah, uh, for for a couple of years. I mean, I was like this. That's not the in, in the machine there, but, <laughs> but but you know, I was there, and you know, that was really. It was one of those things where you kind of like, you know, uh, you get a lot out of it, even yeah. though you know it's probably not what you are meant to be doing. Like the, the level of uh, brilliance that those people have who are working on those on those the scientific basic science issues were so I- I- unbelievable. Yeah, uh, and then so I did that for a couple of years, and then. My wife at the time we were married, and then we decided to go to uh, to the east to go to graduate school. And so I decided you, to, you or her uh, or both of us. Uh, what was she in the same bio? You said biochemistry or chemistry? Let's call it the same program as you. Is that how you, in that same program you guys met? Yeah, gotcha. she, she always kind of wanted to be a doctor. Like oh, okay. Was thing. And so um, we ended up going to graduate school at the same time. I actually went to law school, which is totally law school random. too. <laughs> random thing, and, and again, kind of like to the point earlier it's like looking back at mm. these seemingly random decisions <laughs> like you look back and you're like oh i don't think that makes a lot of sense <laughs> but then like you look you think Got about it, it and you're like, okay, thanks the time it makes, makes, sense. It, <laughs> makes a lot of sense so where did you move uh, east, east coast new york oh we were, we were in washington dc okay uh columbia then, were you going to columbia no i went okay. to, to george washington oh uh, well nothing to scoff at either <laughs> <laughs> and then you know we were we were both there and you know the relationship didn't work out you know yeah. these things happen and uh, it was, so and real quick just for, for my sake of narrative sure you yeah. guys got married in houston or you got married in austin and moved as a married couple to houston well so we we got married while we were in austin okay um then we moved to houston uh and then ended up moving to, to dc gotcha okay okay and so we over the course of what uh, three years two three years oh maybe like yeah probably three something years, like that okay like okay that. makes sense all right and next, then next scene sorry, sorry. <laughs> next scene so end up being in 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 dc you know it's 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 this guy having grown up in in texas all my life and you know it was a, a bit of a culture shock i have to yeah. say good or bad uh, good and bad yeah good and bad busy real busy right busy uh a little bit more anonymous than i had been kind of accustomed to i think ah, I even see. like a city like houston which is a great global city and you know lots of people from all around the world sure. i think that there's in texas there's always this like sense of of human interaction, yeah, that like you're absolutely you like get, to, you get a wave or a smile sometimes. You yeah, know, yeah, which is a nice kind of feeling being in Texas, you know. But DC, I, I presume it wasn't like that. not not so much like that. Much but more cold. Much cold. Much more cold. Much mm-hmm. more. I don't know, like uh, transactional in some ways. I see. I see. Um, and so I was there, you know. I really, but the the very great place to study, and then and then I ended up moving to New York, and that's kind of how the Kashasa thing happened. Um, so you didn't finish law school at George Washington, though, I, or you did? I did finish law school. God, you, man, you got then, it all. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I've got a lot of lot of education. <laughs> but that's good. It's, it's for something, and I have a feeling all it's going to sum together and make you the, the perfect the, the nemesis, like the perfect guy to, to get shit done in the industry. So, 
I presume, was the New York decision professional? Were you saying the marriage isn't working now? I got to go somewhere. Was there a particular thing that led you to New York? You know, I think that the thing that that drew me to New York was, you know, ostensibly for work. Yeah. But really, you know, all these different things together, like these kind of dissonant parts of my life. Mm-hmm. And also, also like these dissonant, like you look at like different styles of music like that I was always into. And I was kind of like, well, why am I, you know, why, well, how do all these things link together? Sure. What's the thread, man? Right? Like, like what, yeah, like what, what, what is all this madness tying it together? And, and what, it was the cacophony of New York. Really? Like it was the, it was all those different like you know this this incredible Babylon of a place where people are just you know doing all kinds of different things and somehow it kind of harmonizes together in a way like yeah. that's always how I've kind of thought about it's so know. strange it's almost like it makes it's totally unencrypted right? yeah and it's just this weird or rather encrypted language you're like I don't get it doesn't make sense I mean I can read it yeah. it's like <laughs> la, 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 la. it doesn't make any sense. But then the oddness and you say the cacophony and the discordant nature of New York is what brought it all together. Yeah, so but, strange, right? The decoder key was in New York the whole time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know after I moved, you know, it was it was a it's it's this amazing kind of thrilling place where you know all these different things are going on. It's, yeah. it's also a very hard place, you know. So it's it's kind of like you're you're kind of trying to to work out what's going on, and that's when I met some Brazilians. <laughs> <laughs> How did that go down? How do you, how do you meet? How do you just like run into some Brazilians? Was it at a bar? Was it in the subway? Um, you know, it was people that I used to. I'd say a combination. I used to work with a few, and then like they were friends of friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of one of these like streams of people coming together. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I started making friends with them, and and uh, you would know. you, Brooke, would you say there's one kind of identifying cultural trait? For the Brazilians, besides that they're all beautiful, like yeah. is there something <laughs> they are, maybe they are, they are, well, anything personality-wise, <laughs> maybe that kind of binds them together? Like because New Yorkers have this thing, right? There's this kind of thread that bonds all these you know New Yorkers together. Anything that comes to mind, like for Brazilians in general, you know the the best way of describing what I found lovely about Brazilians is yeah. I was, and this was many years later, but I was in Sao Paulo. And I went to go meet with my friend Felipe Genuzzi from Mapa de Cachas. And we, he had this cool little, you know, like kind of artist space in this in this area of yeah. Sao Paulo where you had all these kind of like their bands practicing. And he had a little, you oh, know, cool. he, he's you know doing his cachaça, you know, researches. And, mm-hmm. and there are these two bartenders who were there, um, Bob and Zulu. And I started talking to them and like we were, you know, became friends and. All of a sudden, they're like, yeah, let's, let's go down to Itaim to have a drink, this other area of, of Sao Paulo. Mm. So we start walking, and I had messed up my ankle. Mm. Um, like, I had twisted it or something. And so I was limping a little bit. And, you know, I'm used to this New York kind of way at this point where it's just kind of this harsh kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, yeah, yeah, handle your own, handle your own shit. <laughs> and right. It's not like community, but there is a community there is community called on it. Yeah, it's exactly. strange. And uh, this guy, Bob, looks over to me. And in kind of like Portuguese, Spanish was like, with real concern in his eyes, looks over and says, my friend, are you, are you okay? Like, I'm worried about your ankle. And I'd known this guy for like 30 minutes maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, surely like the, it, it was a sense of like empathy or a sense of like connection uh, to other people, which I think is very characteristic of Brazilians on a, on a human level, like yeah. there's s- sympathy or like compassion, like there's just a sense of like, 
like when you sit down and you and you have a drink with Brazilians uh, often, and this is probably not entirely true for everyone, but yeah. for many many people, you always drink out of the same bottle. Wow! And everybody, that's you know, that's been kind of a a, a thing that's been stopping the rise of cocktail culture in Brazil, because you're all expected to drink the same thing. Oh. Wow. And it's a, it's kind of like a sympathy thing. It's like, hey, listen, we're all kind of in this together, you know, <laughs> like like yeah, that's friends. Amazing. Like we're all we're all friends. We all we all love and care about one another, you know. Or, or that's like the the table kind of yeah. the way of sitting around a table. And so, you know that that I think is something very lovely about the culture. And that was really what drew me in. That's um, beautiful. And, really, it is. I mean, that's yeah, it's a, and I feel that same way about Hispanic culture and being in Mexico yeah, and stuff. It's I just, think I think that's I think that's like, true for a lot. Wait, of you care? Yeah. Thanks, man. You know, <laughs> like you don't you don't know me, but yeah, sure. I, yeah thank I you. care right back. That's, that's <laughs> I mean, because that's that's the thing. Like we're we're all human, and that's one of the things I think is that you strip everything else away, you strip the titles away, you strip the money away, yeah, and you strip all the status and all this. We're just people, yeah, and the people that are open and honest and compassionate, we flock together. We really do, and I think that's you know that's a really interesting thing. I think that, and I think. Abs- that's absolutely what I think is attractive about the bar industry. Yeah, a lot oh, of times sure. because, or, or music, or like it, it draws people in that like that have are able to hear what the other person's saying. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, it's absolutely true. It's it, it is lovely. And I feel very privileged. One to, to get to talk to people like yourself, and two that I get somehow included in this big melee of a issue, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. Though it's it, everybody doesn't matter where you go, Mexico, yeah. Sao Paulo, you know, yeah. England, any, anywhere, you know. And so, so you have this fortuitous meeting, and you kind of building these relationships with Brazilians going back, I guess, a couple of years before you have this eye-opening moment of compassion or experiencing yeah. witnessing compassion. So, what was that like? Did they introduce you? I imagine the introduction to Cachaca. Had you known about it before you'd met this, these guys or these women? Yeah, I mean, really, it was it was not necessarily those two bartenders that yeah. introduced me, but you know, you know, I, me and uh, my business partner on Avoir, we had. We started to become like you know all kind of like linked in with these with these Brazilian cats, mm-hmm. and then there's this particular one spot in South Williamsburg, which is called Miss Favela, mm-hmm. and it's 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 in this kind of like funny zone uh, right underneath the Williamsburg Bridge. So you have like oh, yeah. hips, hipster Williamsburg yeah, to the yeah. north, and you have Hasidic Williamsburg to the south. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, kind of the land between two beards because it's, <laughs> it's kind of like different smells in those beards. Are you tell you? <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> That's probably very true. <laughs> Uh, but you know, so it's this tiny little green and yellow shack and you walk up in the middle and you usually go there on Saturday afternoon and it's cause it's, soccer's on what, or football uh, rather. Well, sometimes, but it's, it's even more like they'd have a, a weekly like samba or faho brunch basically. Oh wow. And so you'll just show up and you about like one and you'll sit down and you'll start to have some food and gradually people start coming in and then the band comes on and they're a great band. Like yeah. They're a killer, killer like samba band basically. And then all of a sudden people from all over this like polyglot New York, like a lot of Latins, like, you know, a lot yeah. of Brazilians, a lot of Colombians, a lot of you know, but just people from everywhere. Japanese people, you know, people from Texas, you know, amazing, and, yeah. and it's just this very tight quarters, and people are kind of like just laughing and dancing and having this this super awesome human experience, and right. that was really where I was introduced to Kashasa, and I had some friends who were sitting over at the bar, and they called me over, and I kind of like wended my way through the crowd, mm-hmm. and like you know, elbowing people a little bit to try and get over there, and they bring and they poured these bottles of aged Kashasa, and you know, Kashasa. Age, is aged in all these weird woods, yeah, yeah. all these rare woods, and these, you know, these were not in the U.S. at the time. 
but they had basically been brought in in somebody's suitcase Amazing. and put in yeah. this bag bar. <laughs> it's almost like the ratio or drinking these kinds it, of things. You exactly. Know? Yeah, it's exactly. And basically, I, I, I tasted it and I was like, wow, what is this? And, you know, I have to say it was the culture that originally drew me in, but then I started to really get into the cachaças and like, I wasn't from the spirits industry before. Like, what were you? What would you drink on a normal Friday night, typically? Before that, or, yeah, or now? before that, before that. Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, probably beers. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe American whiskeys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, probably like bourbon and beer. I mean, it's pretty like yeah. basic kind of like. <laughs> I mean, you're from Texas. Yeah, <laughs> makes some sense. You know, but th- what was it about this spirit in particular that kind of opened your eyes up a little bit? It was just the un- the unusual aromas of it. Like yeah. it was particularly like the the kind of cinnamon tonka bean thing you get on umbrana, uh-huh. or like the anise that you get on a wood like balsam, or this kind of spiciness you get on Aridaba. But you know, it was more just kind of like I-, I was just fascinated by it because I had this amazing stuff here, and then over the you know next few months, start going around to my normal bar crawls and mm-hmm. being like, hey, you know, this stuff isn't here, and so like i mean like the, the that same kind of quality of distillate right the, so maybe it was there but it just wasn't as good it, I mean, or, that's what people the mezcal is a great parallel again is that yeah. people are like oh yeah it's got the worm in it like no it doesn't it can't have the worm in it but it, right. you know but that's not the, the stuff that i've had it's like brilliant stuff so y- you get like a substandard until someone comes yeah. in and says i'm bringing in the good stuff and, and that's i think really what you know kind of inspired this like pete and i at some point were like well, let's just go down to Brazil, yeah. like, mostly to check it out. But let's also sure. tour around some cachaça distilleries. And I remember, uh, you know, we just had a kind of a lucky thing that happened. And I was, I called up my friend Marta, who was a Brazilian from Carioca, from, uh-huh. from Rio. It's kind of like sweet, lovely person. And, and I was like, hey, Marta, um, do you know anybody that knows anything about cachaça? I'm going down to Brazil to hang out. You know, who, who do you know? Yeah. And she said, you know, you're in luck. I, one of my, her best friends was getting married to this great bartender and cachaça expert in Rio. Oh, amazing. Andre Cerquera. And, uh, and so, you know, ended up going down to Brazil and like this guy was the coolest guy you can possibly imagine. Like, you know, just, he's like this, or he, he passed away actually, but he was this really big kind of intense personality and almost, almost like intimidating, yeah. you know, in his intensity. And, but like just the sweetest person right um and he ended up showing us around to like 40 different distilleries you know took six days off work you know tasting cachaças with him until six in the morning every morning his girlfriend hated us by the end of it you know (laughs) uh but you know and did it did it make sense then did it say like yeah it finally because you it's kind of like knowing how the sausage is made yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I've been enjoying sausage for, for years. And like, now I know how you blend the meats and the kind of casings and stuff. At that point, you were excited about it. And did you, would you come back with? Were you, were you just full of ideas, like entrepreneurial ideas? Or just like, I just got to bring some back in my suitcase kind of thing? It was kind of, you know, maybe as the, the entrepreneurial idea was was forming. Yeah. Uh, probably I want know, this more thing. and more. I, it's like, I want right. it, I want this thing. And, you know, Pete and I put together like, probably 50, 60 bottles and spread them out in our suitcases yeah. and, you know, kind of prayed that the customers <laughs> wouldn't take them from us. And we brought them back to the States. And then we just started going around to like friends basically in, in, in bars and being like, hey, listen, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And the one that kept standing out was the the producer we currently work with. Um, and I had really, I, 
I really enjoyed her as a person. Uh, you is know, it a female distiller? It's a female distiller. Oh, it's, it's one of the probably three in Brazil. That's great. I mean, for how, the population that I know of, you think yeah. about this, it's any industry. Yeah. Very few female distillers. And I love it because, and I, I, I think that this is an interesting thing to say, and some people might get mad, but I think that women have a different perspective on flavor. And often it's, it, you can taste it. And I think that's a great thing. I, I, yeah, I mean, not, not that it's necessarily, I, you know, I wouldn't want to be too reductive about it, but sure. I think there is a true, you know, way that men and women often taste different. I think so too. And it's, but that's good because it's like someone taking a picture. It's like someone making a movie. Absolutely. Obviously, and everybody's different, sure. But having that unique perspective and even a physiological differentiation, that, that's bound to produce some interesting perspectives on flavor, you know? And that's cool. That's, I mean, that's great. And I think, you know, it's interesting because you look at cachaça in Brazil, it's traditionally been a man's drink. Yeah. It's traditionally been kind of like what your uncle, you know, drinks. Really? You know, like it's, 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 it's a strong liquor. It's a liquor that, you know, you have a shot in a beer. Mm-hmm. It's a liquor that you like are barbecuing, making like some churrasco and like you, you, you're, you know, drinking with your, your dad, your, your buddies, granddad, right? your cousins, yeah. your buddies, whatever. But she had this, she was, she had a much more kind of like soft feminine look at it. Yeah. And that's, I think, what was super interesting because it kept that intensity in the white cachaça. And then when you tasted the aged cachaças that she makes, they were just soft and beautiful supple and, and like supple. Rigid, yeah. And that's, that's really what I think attracted people to it and what attracted us to it. And so basically, like, at some point I called her up um, and, you know, my ex-wife was from, uh, from, the border and so i had learned spanish from her mm. and so spoke spanish okay and uh kind of then like broken portuguese spanish portuñol is like <laughs> <laughs> uh basically said you know hey katcha um would you be interested in bringing this product to the u.s and she was like yeah i would be totally into it and we basically you know had thought about whether we would bring the brand in under what she had done traditionally yeah and so what was it as, as it represented in brazil what was the brand called it's called Da Quinta. Da Quinta. Okay. And it's basically, it, it's, it's, we, we felt that it needed to be communicated in a different way. Sure. For the U.S. audience, basically. Mm-hmm. So we basically worked with her to design a brand. Oh, very cool. Um, totally, total, total collaboration. To, yeah. Which is very great. much a collaboration. Which and that was always buying a lot better, too, right? Because like, I like the brand for the American market, too. Absolutely. Very, very cool. Yeah. And, and really, you know, what we wanted to do was to create a brand that, you know, both had this amazing heritage product but also communicated what that feeling that I had had in Brazil. And so, you know, we worked, uh, we worked with a, a really great packaging designer, uh, Mark Christow from uh, Rook Design in New York, so a Brit who's been living in the U.S. for a long time. And <laughs> <laughs> they get it, man. They get it. They're just this, like, very stylish dude. And, yeah. he, and, you know, what we wanted to do is we wanted to communicate, like, what was kind of beautiful and refined about Brazil. Because often, like, what Cachaça had been brought in as was – um, either as a caricature mm-hmm. of this very rich and beautiful culture, or it was it was something more more big brand, you know. Right. And we wanted to say, hey, listen, you know, Brazil has this. I mean, Caetano Veloso, Os Mutantes, you know, uh, the anthropo- anthropophago movement, you know, art movement, mm-hmm. like uh, has the biggest population of Japanese people outside of Japan. Right. Isn't that crazy? Like, it's a crazy rich culture. Um, and so we spent about we spent a long time trying to figure out how we wanted to speak about it. But what we ended up kind of netting out on was like a brand that would evoke um, the time when people when kind of the West first really discovered Brazil. So the 1950s. Oh, interesting. Okay. So Bossa Nova, yeah. Pan Am flights, 
you know, Copacabana Beach exploding. And, uh, and what that was really inspired by was uh, this architect whose name is Oscar Niemeyer. And Niemeyer won the Pritzker Prize. He designed the UN building in New York. Oh, he designed wow. Brasilia. He's a very kind of like well-known disciple of Lord Corbusier. Um, but, you know, he has this really cool kind of curvy, funny architecture yeah. that we used to inspire the bottle. Ah, I see. And, uh, and actually, I don't know if this is, you know, the, the interesting people, but he has this really amazing quote about Brazil, which I think actually inspired, like expresses kind of a lot about why I find it interesting. Mm. But he's writing about his country. You know, he grew up in Rio. You know, he's, he's a Carioca guy from through and through. Mm. Super, you know, in many, many ways. But he has this quote, and it's, um, it is not the right angle that attracts me, nor the hard inflexible line designed by man. What attracts me are sensual curves, the curves of my country's mountains, in the sinuous flow of its rivers, in the body of the beloved woman. Oh, I mean, dude, I'm sold. Dude it's had perfect. away with words. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. That's brilliant. And it's, I keep looking, I keep thinking about that bottle because that was one of the things that really drew me to it. Because ultimately, you're drawn to the design, then you're drawn to the juice. And if both yeah. are good, I mean, it's a match made in heaven. It's perfect, right? But it has this interesting, absolutely like an upper part, or actually the whole thing is just kind of a nice, natural kind of curve and then there are if i understand correctly there's lines also etched in mm-hmm. is that right yeah if, i don't know if it's for design or if it's functional but it looks so beautiful and it looks so exotic but it doesn't look unfamiliar right because that's the thing that will put you off as a consumer it's like i recognize this i don't know why and perhaps because the inspiration is woman i don't know yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. could be and i think i mean it's almost like when we first started talking about this this way of talking about brazil like we, you know, Americans often don't know a ton about Brazil. Like we know right. sometimes a little, you know, it's there's, but there's, you know, you look at there's like 600,000 people of Brazilian descent in the U.S. versus 33 million people of Mexican descent, for yeah. instance. So like that's a huge like cultural, like. Yeah, it's hard for us that we, we know Hispanic culture. It's all exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because. In, we just kind of maybe being as myopic as we are at times, we just fooled all the other. Right, kind just kind of, of yeah, they're just like, like, oh, yeah. they're all Hispanic, but which is not okay. And they're and they're very very different cultures, but um, I mean, similar in some ways, but very different in others. But the you know the way that um, I was losing my train of thought here, maybe, but the the way that Brazil is, uh, you know, when we started talking about it to people, we said, mm-hmm. hey, listen, nineteen fifties, bossa nova, all of a sudden, people started telling us it was conjuring up like. Being in their, you know, their dad's, you know, area with his LPs. Yeah, and he yeah has that's those, exactly you what know, I was thinking of, yeah. Those Tom Jobim albums from the 1960s. The cool rug, Stan Getz the, albums, the carpet, you know. You know Playboy yeah. from the 1960s. Yeah, like, yeah. this kind of thing where people, like, were first discovering it. Or, you know, even, like, uh, you know, what do you call it? Uh, James Bond oh, yeah, in, yeah. in Rio. You know, the, in the 60s, this was kind of an, an era that popped into people's minds. Mm-hmm and um it's a sexy it's, it's sexy yeah it, it's did people know a lot no in the same way eh, maybe not but there was kind of that cultural thing where you're like oh okay like brazilian architecture from the 60s okay yeah you know like there's some kind of resonance there sure. yeah <laughs> so it all starts to kind of form together your distiller is on board and and she has this product that you feel is much more subtle and perhaps softer than this other kind of just like really maybe hot is a good word a lot of people yeah, use. Yeah. And so you guys have the bottle design. You work with a British designer. And what did how did you feel when you had that first 
maca bottle in your hand it, it was unbelievable yeah. i mean it's it's like the first time you ever work on your own entrepreneurial project i remember you know sash petrosky telling uh pete and myself one time we we're kind of walking through the west village and he and this was maybe a, a month before we launched have one he's like guys there's the first time you launch your own business it's the fucking craziest scariest thing yeah but you'll never forget it <laughs> and, you, and you'll never have it again it'll never happen again because yeah. you guys could do three other products and it would never be the same you know what i mean and and, and it is it's i mean it's it's kind of like your first baby you know like, right, it's, yeah. it's not the same no totally, but, it, but, it, it, but there, it, there's a great metaphor yeah. for it i mean you know i i've made a decision not to have kids but i've made a decision to have kids via product yeah you know? i mean honestly they're my yeah. kids they, they yeah, cause exactly. problems there's some that are nicer than others they've got their own individual personalities <laughs> yeah. it's like a little family you know except that they cost even more i think than a baby does <laughs> that's probably true <laughs> but probably point. the return the yeah. financial return is better <laughs> yes hopefully <laughs> emotional it's hard to say emotional, financial, hard to maybe. Say. <laughs> so when did you so it t tell me the exact the the nice nuanced way to say is it avoir? Uh, avoir. 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 Okay. So basically, avoir comes from the Portuguese word vol. Vol. Vol, which means oh. to, to fly or I'm flying. Okay. Okay. So voir is the, the word to fly. Vol is like you're saying, I'm flying. I see. Okay. But really what it comes from is as the Portuguese started to enter into in the interior of Brazil, mm -hmm. they came across lots of different types of, of native, uh, you know, communities and mostly from the Tupi uh, language structure and so basically there was this a trade language that developed called Nyingatu and actually this was a something that a, a, a bartender friend of mine was telling me in Sao Paulo but it's called Nyingatu and it was basically the trade language that was used in the Amazon up until the 1890s oh, like really most people spoke this language they didn't speak Portuguese huh. and uh because the Portuguese couldn't speak Tupi and the Tupi couldn't speak Portuguese, they developed these hybrid words, one of which was avoir. So avoir comes from vol, but it basically means I'm flying, I'm wow. getting high. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> or I'm, you know, I'm getting fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically, like, still, if you go into... That's like, a classy get, word for such a concept. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's beautiful, beautiful word. I mean, avoir. It's almost very, very French. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 and a lot of people say, oh, it's this French word. Well, yeah, no, but, you know, it kind of sounds similar, but it's, yeah. it's the, the, or the etymology is different. Interesting. Yeah. So what year was that you guys released or launched? 2013. 2013. 2013. Did you guys have both the, the Prata and the, that's how you say that one, right? Yeah. Prata, yeah. yeah. And then the Amberana, is that right? Yeah, had, had both of those. Um, we were really lucky when we first kind of came into the states because we didn't really have you know we were both from outside the industry we were just kind of passionate and your partner's name again uh pete pete and what it uh, was pete what kind of industry is he from he well he had come from the beverage industry but more on like the business side of things I so see. he had been he'd worked in uh, for red bull he'd worked for dana and oh uh, okay um yeah he's actually a musician as well he used to i'm not surprised a, in a hardcore <laughs> band uh, really <laughs> yeah he they, they toured the u.s and europe had like what were they films. called a, you know? day, a day in black and white. Hmm, not familiar, but it's still incredible. Yeah. Hardcore van. Yeah, it <laughs> I mean, makes, a lot of sense. <laughs> makes a whole lot of sense. So two, two, yeah, sorry, sorry, go ahead. But yeah, and so we basically, um, you know, we had just, we had, we're, you know, I'd say that we were just kind of like trying to figure it out, figure out, how do you, how do you talk to people about booze? How do you sell into bars? How do you like get people excited about it? Yeah. And we had this super lucky thing early on 
And we were sitting in a coffee shop in uh, Greenwich Village. It was me, it was Pete, it was someone who we were interviewing for a sales position. And we had two kind of dummy bottles, or actually they were like partially full dummy mm-hmm. bottles out on the table. And this gentleman walks up. And he's probably in his like low 40s. Um, he's wearing a Huayabara. He's wearing slacks and bowling shoes. Bowling shoes. And, amazing. you know, it's just kind of like a like a, uh, a looking kind of, like a guy who's kind of looking. And I was... And I, looking, and, huh? And he, he was kind of walked over and he was standing just a little bit too close looking over the table. And I kind of looked up. And I was in my mind thinking, yo, yo what's up, buddy? <laughs> and, and he looks down and he's like, excuse me. I was like, yeah? He's like, excuse me, are you, are you guys launching a cachaça? And I was like, <laughs> you know, yeah, what, cachaça? How, how, how would you even know? know what cachaça? Yeah. I mean, how, not that many people really know what cachaça was or is. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, what do you know about cachaça? And, and very, like, humbly, he's like, I know a little bit. He's like, but I'd love to hear the story. Do you mind telling it to me? And so I think wow. Pete or myself or somebody got up, told him the story. And he said, oh, that's, that's really interesting. Can I try it? And I was like, yeah, sure, buddy. It's like. 10, 15, 10, 30 in the morning, knock yeah, yourself out. who cares, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he, he took a thought and he said, in my memory at least, he's like, that's the best damn cachaça I've ever had in my life. I own a couple bars downtown I'd love to put on the shelf. And I thought, you know, this guy had like a shot in a beer, Jameson and, a, yeah, yeah. and you know, I, I have a, I'm, I'm waiting, to, I'm waiting for the punchline because I think <laughs> I know who it is, but we're going to, I just want to hear, I can film this out. Great, great story, great story. <laughs> and, and, and finally, and we we're like, sure, yeah. When we launch, we'll we'll get in contact. And um, but can you give us your email? And so he writes in his email. It's this long, complicated email. Uh-huh. The basis is like s sasha petrosky at gmail. Oh man! <laughs> and you know, it, it was and, and Sasha just was. I mean, a lot of people you know, know this about him. He's just this lovely, super, you know, super interested person. Yeah. Um, very kind of reserved in some ways. Like quirky almost i think would be a fair way of putting it oh that's good yeah um but he just kind of fell in love with the product and he basically offered to let us launch avoir the new milk and honey and wow. we had bartenders from all over new york come um you know who i mean they weren't coming to see us they weren't <laughs> yeah. coming for that to yet. see what Not milk yet. and honey would yeah, look like right. so you know we had the dead rabbits guys we had like robert from the new york times we had all these different people come and they were coming to see sasha but i think that at the time, people were just like totally blown away by the Umbrana, particularly because mm. it's oh, so man. different and interesting. And you know, it pretty much started spread like the moment we launched, it started spreading kind of like wildfire. I mean, we basically, you know, it was like me and Pete going around with backpacks. We didn't have a distributor at the time. Yeah, uh, we were just kind of like going around, like door to door, being like, "Hey, listen, what do you think about this? What do you think about that?" And uh, and it just kept spreading. And then, it, you know, and then it kind of just kind of took on a life of its own uh and now pretty much both of us travel full-time kind of spreading the gospel of cachaca and amazing <laughs> and did you there's no way you could have saw that coming no no that was that was yeah so with my dad today is like son there's two things that are successful in life luck and hard work he's like you've had a lot of luck <laughs> <laughs> and when you start coupling that with some hard work right. really start, you're gonna really get some results <laughs> Like that it's like this this passive insult, but still a compliment. <laughs> You're really not as fat as I thought you would. Be, exactly. Th- thanks, man. I mean, is, that, is that good or? <laughs> You're like, man, thank you. I think. But the um, the the root 
for both of these, actually Root's probably the wrong word, but the base for both of these is just 100% raw sugar cane. And you've got the two skews because so I understand rum agricole for sure. And this is, what do you think from a rum agricole in Martinique? How is cachaça different? Is it the distillation? Is it the yeast? What What would you say gives it a slightly different flavor? than that of an agricole, although reminiscent. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I, I always call them kind of kissing cousins. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're very close um, in lots of ways. I mean, there's two big differences. Historical. Cachaça mm-hmm. is much, much, much older. Cachaça is arguably the oldest distillate in the New World. Oh, really? I mean, the first distillation you see is somewhere between 1516 and 1532, depending wow. on which record you're looking at. Yeah. Whereas, like, you look at, like, the rums, the English-style rums come about in, like, the 1650s. The French style rums really start to come later, around right? in like the eighteen thirties, fifties, something like that. So the the way they developed is very different, and that's kind of a long and interesting, but <laughs> not really relevant topic. <laughs> but uh, then the production style, you know, they use different types of yeast. The types of cane they use is different. Um, rum agricole is obviously an AOC. Mm-hmm. They have certain styles of stills, column stills, um, kind of not not the kind of ones we we think of when we think of right, like the right. industrial, you know. Style. Yeah, like a continuous, but, yeah. But 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 calm still. Sometimes made of wood. Sometimes other things. Um, the length of fermentation is much longer. Oh, as far as really? I understand. Uh, so cachaça usually, you know, it's hard to generalize about cachaça, but you're usually talking about 24 hours. Uh, wow. So it's a pretty short fermentation I mean, time. Yeah. What do you do now? Not to get too nerdy, but you're so this actually this is perfect to talk about the sorcia we'll use it in contrast so the bottle that you picked i would have never guessed sometimes i can guess <laughs> and sometimes i'm right but you picked the racia the la venenosa right arx brand yeah, out of new york yeah, right yeah. and this is a the uh delta the the tigra de mm-hmm. Jalisco, and it is 46 percent if i recall and it's just fermented over 30 days if i, re- if I remember correctly mm, wow really 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 long time you get the funk, you get the acid, and mm. you get the bright. You get everything that any kind of distillate would be, and it's a single distillate. Interesting. That's pretty yeah. interesting. So, what do you, what do you think about the flavor on that guy? I mean, I I love this Rysia. Um I, Our full disclosure is a, is a buddy, and like, I, I, figured, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Jew speaks for itself, though. He could be a dick, and you'd still, yeah, it would still be amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I remember when I, I think I had this for the first time at Biowell after we brought it in mm. in the East Village, and. I tasted it. I was like, what is like, exactly. it was one of those mind blowing kind of things for me where yeah. I was like, this is agave spirit. Like right. I thought I <laughs> knew that mezcal I was yeah. super interesting. Like Oaxacan mezcal is super weird and interesting. And like tequila is obviously, you know, an amazing spirit, but like this was like, <laughs> this is Zappa. Yeah, this, this is, is ca- that this is, is a great way. <laughs> this is Zappa because I can't predict where it's going, and drinking it the first time is not the same as drinking it right now. Yeah, it's yeah. completely different, but so well formed and so multifaceted. You just like its own galaxy of flavor. Not to oversell it, but it's insane. So the, to contrast that, because this is a very long fermentation time, you get a lot of changes in pH when you just leave mm-hmm. that shit out there, right? Ab- absolutely. So you guys just are rather fermenting in approximately 24 hours or less than 24 hours you probably get a tighter more succinct kind of flavor without the funkiness that does come from leaving out sugar juice absolutely and i think that's one of the i mean yeah i think that's one of the things like with with cachaca i get a flavor i would say cachaca is kind of like halfway between a rum and a tequila in its flavor profile yeah 
Whereas Martinique rum or, or French style rum is very, it's it's much more fruity to yeah. me. Like like cachaça always feels or, or good cachaça feels very tied to the the prime material. Mm-hmm. Whereas the agricoles have like this deep and interesting funk to them. Yeah, um, it's that fruity funk that's it's like cheesy fruit funk. Yeah, yeah it's, it's <laughs> you get it in mezcal, but like yeah. with with agricoles, it's very very different. But it's reined in with the cachaça, Abois especially. Like it's tighter and just, it just it, it it's not as like what's the word uh, fragmented. It's not as abrupt. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean like I love agricoles. Like there's a oh, lot yeah. of like beautiful beautiful stuff to agricoles, um, but agricoles are often. At least, com- at least compared to Avoy, like they're often bigger. Yeah, they're a lot bigger. Yeah, bigger. Um, but not necessarily. That's not always good, you know. I mean, so what is it? Open air fermentation for you guys? Yep, o- open air. Oh, just wow. got all wild yeast. Um, you know, that's the way they've been. They make cachaça in this farm since the 1700s. Where is the farm located, roughly? Uh, it's about four hours north of Rio, okay. uh, the, the city of Rio. It's in the in the state. You basically kind of like wend your way up through the mountains and. Uh, you know, it's this pretty remote area. The nearest village is like two thousand people, and it's wow. like an hour away, basically. Pretty. What's the high altitude, low altitude, medium? I'd say medium. Yeah. Probably we're talking like six, maybe four thousand feet. Oh wow, that's so, actually pretty. So pretty, high. pretty high actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's you kind of like, and so basically, like they just, you know, the way Kashasa developed, as far as we know, is basically there were these, you know. The Portuguese brought over slaves from Angola, mm-hmm. and they forbid them from drinking. Bastards! Which is just terrible because you're <laughs> yeah. working in these fields all the time. Can it's, I get it's it? Like, no. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Damn it! Really? No. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, just a little being no. dicks, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but basically, what happened is they took um, they they would take cane, they would press it, and they would form the juice. Well, I mean, there's really no base thing for spirits that is, has the sugar content or the the easily fermentable sugar content Nothing. that sugarcane juice has. Unparalleled. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so the yeast just loves it. It just falls in and it starts to yeah. you know, go off on its own. And Probably then, within like a matter of minutes, I imagine. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. And like if you if you go to like Cuba or like Miami or, you know, parts of the Caribbean, you often have garapa, which is sugarcane juice. Oh, okay. That's like a traditional thing that people just kind of drink. Mm-hmm. And you, you notice it if it sits out for a little while, you're like, Okay, a little garapa <laughs> kombucha action. <laughs> Why is it bubbling, man? What's yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> Volatile stuff, it really is, you know? It, so, so, yeah, so that's kind of how they still do it in, yeah. in Kishasa today. It's amazing. And so what kind of distillation, if you guys talk about this stuff, you talking pot distillation, you're talking uh, yeah. column? How yeah. is it? It's probably different, obviously, than agricole. It's, uh, so it's, it's pot distillation. Uh, in Kishasa, in general, like, you know, Kind of like a lot of sugarcane spirits, it's a little bit of the Wild West. Yeah. Um, even agricole, I think, would be the the exception to that. So really, it's it's less kind of like these kind of AOC things, which are inspired by French wine, mm-hmm. and more kind of like, here's the, the history, here's the tradition of this area, right? Um, so basically, like in Cachaca, they largely use pot stills for good artisanal cachaca. Um, They have like a pretty unique style of still. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are just like, it's this uh, kind of alembic, what they call alembic still. So it's like pot, copper pot still, but then there's a column that mm-hmm. ascends from the the actual bulb itself. Um, and so they kind of fractionate on two levels. They fractionate gotcha. like on the on the plating, and then they also fractionate on the gooseneck. Very cool. Um, and our producer insists that adds creaminess to. Sure, uh, I mean, she would, you know, she knows. So it's bound to be two distillations. 
Or what, one distillation. No kidding. Yeah. What's bottle proof on it? Uh, bottle proof is 42. It's wow. actually distilled two proof. That's amazing. So they basically start, like, it starts coming out, the hearts start coming out the still, I think, like, at 48%. Yeah. And then, you know, it switches to tails. They usually make the second cut around 39%. And just, like, how that that's blends it. in is comes out 42. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Because yeah. that's a completely different, like, from rum. I mean, you talk about, you just, you just distill it the hot, not all rum, but a lot of rums, commercial rums, one that comes to mind, right? But <laughs> you distill the shit out of it, comes out 92%, yeah. you water it down. Yeah. So, but the yeah. thing that you guys are doing is that you're never ever introducing anything that's not cachaça, right? Well, and that's amazing. And that's what I think is interesting about uh, artisanal cachaças like Avoir. Like it's basically like ours is all single estate. Like every even the piece of wood that are used to age in the Ambarana, that's yeah. from trees that grow on the same farm. That's like, crazy. It's a little like everything comes from this area except. Is for there the Cooper? There's got to be Coopers then. <laughs> yeah, but you know it's funny in Brazil you have like. A lot of the people that end up working on cachaça distilleries, these are, I don't know, I don't know how to exi- exactly describe them, but they're almost like tribes of people that have been mm-hmm. doing it for a long, long time. Yeah. And they, they're migratory. So basically they will spend a year or two years in one producer, a year or two years in another producer. How many people are we talking? We're talking tribes with like 10, 20 50, maybe. No kidding. Like, like two or three families. Wow, that's 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 venture capitalism at its final. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That is what it looks like, like before it made its way to the West, right? Exactly. <laughs> we help you guys launch, and then we're gonna, you know, once you guys get up and running, we'll go to the next thing. That's amazing. It, and I mean, you you have the kind of the the fa- the distilling families which have their own kind of ways of doing things, but you'll often see like ideas kind of spread through through these kind of migration patterns. Yeah. But you know, you also have these these traveling coopers. And they basically get in a car and they'll drive all throughout Minas, Gerais, which is one of the core cachaça producing areas, which is huge states, probably bigger than Texas, maybe even. And then like they'll go into Rio, they'll go in sometimes into Sao Paulo, they'll just basically drive around and they know how to make these barrels. They look um, the same as the barrels that were custom to in Kentucky? Uh, they're pretty different, actually. Yeah. They have lots of different types of, of barrels. It's fair to call them vats. Okay, vats. Okay. Um, you know, these, these trees... So like Umbrana, the one that we kind of introduced, which is to me one of the the really interesting. Oh, it's insanely ones. good. It's so good. <laughs> like those those they basically they make into vats which might be almost twenty feet tall. Holy 10 feet shit! Are you kidding me? So a lot bigger than kind of the traditional. That's well, bigger than a also. fermentation vat in most places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's actually interesting because they're very old. Like they're probably um, almost twenty five years old. So mm-hmm. Umbrana is actually a threatened species. Okay. So you can't make new vats. Oh. Unless you go through a very kind of long government process where you plant a certain number of trees, reforestation. And, you know, our our producer is very conscientious about that. But, you know, what these, these vats are are really, really old. I mean, they, wow. I can't, I don't even know of another kind of wood that you would use. I can't think of something you would use that much. But but being so large though, I mean, it's still going to be effective. I think that's the, I think that's a lot of, that's the difference. Because, you know, you think about the 55 or 53 gallon barrels you use for whiskey, like, you kind of pull most of the stuff out over yeah. maybe let's say three sittings, three restings, you know. Yeah. But with something that 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 that's that large, and then what? It, because the other thing too is like bourbon. You know, get nerdy for a second. The the bourbon that's coming in is pretty pretty high. Yeah. So the higher the alcohol, obviously, it's going to pull more of that stuff out. But since your max single distillation coming out at forty eight, you said which which you could take the heads and if you wanted, which are a little bit higher. But it's going to be nicer. It's going to be more subtle because it's not going to be as hot. Going into the barrel and pulling that stuff out, and people will correct me, and that's totally fine. But that means I think that you get a nice balance of evaporation 
and absorbing the flavor of that wood over about how long with the Amberana, if you guys talk about it? Uh, roughly two years. I mean, Amazing. I'd say in, in Brazil, you don't often see like hyper-aged things. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you do from time to time with oak, but yeah. like to me, I, I've had a lot of, dif- you know, a lot of different uh, Brazilian wood-aged spirits mm-hmm. down there. And when you start to get beyond six years, it really starts to overwhelm. Just, I see. So a lot of times kind of the magic number at least to me and my palate is like around two years. Yeah, and so the Amberana is, is that also around 42? Uh, that's a little bit less. It's I was going to say, because you get the, yeah. the evaporation and stuff. That, so this is the thing. I didn't know what it was when someone gave it to me. And they said, this is not oak. Mm. This is some other kind of wood. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, great. I don't, <laughs> even, know, I don't even know what the tree looks like. I don't even know how you chop it. Fair enough, you know, it's hard wood, like, but I don't know, it doesn't matter. But I tasted it and I was like, this is such a beautiful balance of, Kind of like vanilla and silk and sugar and like in wood, but it was such a subtle kind of light and fluffiness to the wood. You know mm, what I mean? Yeah, Instead of being yeah. so heavy handed and so charred, yeah. You know, and you guys have done something insanely beautiful with that spirit. I mean, it's very, very special thing. Hence, why I probably can't get a hold of it very often because it's like <laughs> you guys cycled through it so much. But what's the plan for that one, which bound to be even a more um, uphill battle in terms of consumer education how do you guys approach that i mean a lot of it we take kind of notes from our brethren in mezcal yeah like yeah i think that what's been great about you know i mean mezcal like the way that it has grown and has had a lot to do with bartender education Mm -hmm. to be able to know like what's the difference between a tepestate cupriata yeah you know like and then when you start to get into like the non like the mezcals that are not from Oaxaca or the agave spirits, which are not from like Racia, Bacanora, Bacanora, like I mean, all that stuff is is super interesting. But it had to have like an entry point. Yeah. So to me, it's like what we try and do is to say, well, you know, you guys thought cachaça was this way. You thought it was a hot spirit used only for caipirinhas, pretty industrial, mm-hmm. because that's mostly what we got until yeah. like 2008, maybe when blonde kind of came into the market, and but you know. Stuff that in Brazil would be would be very value, mm-hmm. um, and say, okay, you thought an industrial cachaça, you thought cachaça was only industrial. Let me blow your mind with Ambarana. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and then kind of like we spend a lot of time doing education. So like tomorrow or on Tuesday, I'm going to go down to San Antonio. Where, where are you going, by the way? Uh, Juniper Tower. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, Benjamin, right? Yeah, yeah. Benjamin. So Benjamin uh, is kindly offered a spot. So we're going to do like a master class for bartenders across San Antonio, wow. like. We, we 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 do a lot with that, you know. We're doing like a, actually an interesting kind of uh, avoa kind of interview series. We're with our friends with Mapa de Cachaça, so they're helping to interview like like Dave Wondrich, and we're gonna That's have amazing. something released in about a month. Yeah, um, for the for the site for social, how, how are you guys releasing it? It's it's mostly through th- so it's through the site Mapa de Cachaça. Okay. So they're really doing it mostly through social. Mm. Um, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to put it out there, but. You know, it's 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 that's great though. It's interviews with kind of like people who, you know, but it's very cachaça focused. Like, sure, you know, but uh, that's I mean, we we both understand how socialization is the key. Yeah, so so toll for me, cachaça for you. I mean, people want to know. Absolutely, if it's, if it's honest, they want to know. Absolutely. Now, if you're Absolutely. hiding behind something, obviously, it's always a different conversation. People are very very apprehensive. But when you talk about like, I mean, obviously, you're you're a disarming guy. Just like coming in here and sitting with you, it's like no. You, you shoot me straight. It's very, very wonderful because 
products speak for themselves too. It's almost like, I mean, yeah, you got to tell people about it and you got to sell it, but like, it's brilliant juice. Well, and that's the thing I think with, you know, I'm sure you find this with Sotol or, or, or Bacanora or, or, or these kind of like, you know, agave spirits that have a very, very long tradition. Yeah. But nobody really knows what they are. It's kind of like you have to hear it a number of times. Yeah, or in a different way, even. Or in a different you way. You know, because you talk about having to reform, not reform it, but rebrand this concept that works in Brazil, but it wouldn't work the same way. You have to appeal to these Western sensibilities or lack thereof, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, when, you know, you play to the Wild West, you put a gun on your label. Right. <laughs> what exactly do you do? You know, yeah, yeah. it's a totally different thing over here, but it is fun, like that constant process of being on the road, being on the stage being collaborative with people that are genuinely interested. I think you have no larger group of people that are incredibly academic and, and just engaged about the, the, the knowledge than any other industry. I mean, science perhaps, right? But yeah. for outside of that, I don't know, man. Everybody's <laughs> kind of in their little silo. But you talk about this industry, people, they're, 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 they have this lust for, for information, and it, it, it's such a great industry for sharing that information. Yeah. Because, like, that's what do you do when you sit around a table? That's right. You share, right? You share food that somebody made. You share a drink that somebody made. You share, you like, have you tried this amazing Rysia? Right. <laughs> like, have Precisely. you tried this amazing Soto? Like, you know, have you tried this amazing Cachaça? Like, there are these things that you have to, like, it's, it's the joy of sitting around a table. It's the same experience, maybe, that, you know, sitting around that Brazilian table and having everybody drink the same thing they want to do because yeah. they want to share that's some right. a cool experience you it's know communal. Like, it's, it's communal. not it's not just singular right yeah you and know? that's where you know the fun bit is in life i mean I singular so. stuff is fun too but like yeah, I mean, not that <laughs> not much, quite as much right? fun. <laughs> go ahead and write your concept record it'll be fine but like, like, no it'll really like it doesn't always resonate you know yeah but writing yeah. that stuff that involves other people that's collaborative you know so you've got this texas tour you're here you know you go from new york to here i'm sure you you're in your business partner peter touring all over the place you know and kind of working that stuff so what if you can talk about it is what's next not that this isn't enough yeah it's ne yeah. it's never that way but i know if you're driven and i know you've got that 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 entrepreneurial spirit or whatnot you guys thinking about doing other things yeah well i mean i think the, the first thing, thing we're, we're really focused on right now is the the Olympics are coming up in Rio. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of want to spread the gospel of Kashasa, and this is a great moment for, you know, people to put it on their bar programs yeah. and for, you know, consumers to learn about it in stores. And, and I think that's increasingly happening. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of going out and, and, and encouraging Ta that to happen. You know, the, but, the world's coming to your playground. I mean, exactly. You're almost a captive <laughs> audience to listen about Kachai's perfect opportunity, right? Exactly, exactly. Saves you lots of money from travel. <laughs> it's going to show up, you know. Um, we are kind of, we're, we're, you know, as the Kachasa continues to grow and start to get out there, you know, I think that we will probably, are interested in bringing in different stuff. But, you know, this is part of a larger concept that Pete and I have, been working on now with some other friends uh in the industry but you know really the idea is to is to find kind of unique gems yeah and that need education need some love in in categories that are are weird and interesting or maybe a different way of looking at those categories right right uh so we're we're starting to kind of see well you know what's next there i mean we'll see where it all goes but it's you for now kashas is the uh, <laughs> yeah because if, if you know if the past is any predictor of the future it's going to seem random 
Like, yeah. you know, yeah. there's a lot of grief. So, which obviously I'm sure comes into play still. It's, it's handy. Yeah. yeah. It's and handy. then you've got that, you get the music background, which helps you perform. I think. And that, absolutely. think about details, think about composition, but not on a molecular, rather not a musical scale only, but booze is that way. Booze is just notes, right? Yeah. The perfect triad. That's yeah. That's absolutely. the way I look at it. And, and, and I got, <laughs> I, was, I was talking about something. Some, yeah. some booze. <laughs> I'm like, you know what it's really like? It's like, the, it's like this pop song. It's like the Beatles. And it's like, you always talk about music, man. What's the deal? Like, well, it's the only thing I can like actually understand. You know, I mean, you talk about movies. But it's a little more esoteric. But music, people get music. They really do. But I think that's a great way of looking at it. It's like, if you compare a booze to music or a cocktail to music or food to music, that makes sense. If you go into the movie realm, it's like, it's so much lower long form, you know. Absolutely, like, yeah. a movie is sitting down to El Bulli for like, you know, a fifteen course small plate meal, right. maybe. You know, like okay, okay yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, not like, that I've ever had chance to do that. The of spirits, like, what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. That's a black and white movie. I'm thinking in color here. This doesn't even apply, you know. That's yeah. what music's where it's, it's where it's at. And we kind of end on this, but you you mentioned maybe or suggested that you're playing again or that you're writing again. Is that coming up in your life again? I'd say playing again, you know. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this one a little bit earlier, but uh, somebody, this, uh, a family, somebody in the family repairs grand pianos, and so he had this really cool uh, Mason and Hamlin grand, oh, right. yeah. which was from the late 1800s, and it used to be in a brothel in New Orleans, <laughs> which is great. The stories that piano could tell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's a funny, it's this chestnut looking piano with this gold leaf so you can see it fitting quite well yeah. like at 1800 brothel in new orleans but it, it anyways sometimes at some i think point, i could fit in an 1800 brothel <laughs> as, as an aside sorry i think I, that, that, that feels good it feels good let's just bring this back my name anyway, sorry. <laughs> and so he you know this this piano had an interesting life it you know moved to galveston and was there for a long time and then in the one of the hurricanes one of the storms it got completely ruined and so he brought it to his little you know shop on top of a, a hill in blanco mm -hmm. texas or outside of blanco texas and he spent about a year and a half reworking this and i went there recently and i sat down and you know i started playing and it was like it had never left wow um and and part of it maybe was a moment in time Part of it's the beauty of the instrument, but you know your fingers start to move and it works. Yeah, you know, like, it all makes sense again. So maybe maybe it's coming back. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I hope so. It never leaves, man. It never you know? leaves. Yeah. It, it really never does. Music, it haunts you, but in the most pleasant of ways. <laughs> I'm not losing sleep over it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. it. Haunts you in a very pleasant way. <laughs> <laughs> we can coexist. It's like ghost dad. Anyway, anyway, well, it's been man. It's been brilliant chatting and uh you know thanks so much for for doing I, lo I love that everybody's open to chatting like no one i don't expect anybody knows who the fuck i am but the fact that you came in to town obviously you're going to san antonio but talking kachasa with me talking music talking marriage law like all these things man so many things we have in common it's been brilliant getting to know you and i hope we, we don't stop here so thanks so much Nate, absolutely for chatting with brilliant me, thank you very much it's been a real pleasure thank you well, there we have it. Another great chat, this time with Nate Casablanca Whitehouse, one of the co-founders of Avoa Cachaça, of course, from the lovely Brazil. I've had both the, what we could call a Blanco, 
Kachasa and the Amberana aged no less than two years, I think. It's roughly two to three years in these massive endangered wood casks. It's a interesting, it's totally different world, Kachasa, right? I mean, it's an, an essence of rum agricole, but the, the culture and the people and the production methods are so different. And it's really wonderful to hear Nate's story about bringing this amazing product into America just so he could drink it himself. Sometimes that's how all these great ideas start, is we just don't have the right booze for when we want to sit down and enjoy a glass. So what do we do? We import it. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Should Have Eat with Mike G. I hope you're enjoying the show, these conversations. I hope you're learning. I'm learning about agave. I'm learning about cachaca. I'm learning about owning and operating bars and restaurants. It's been a brilliant experience thus far for me, and I really appreciate you keeping tuned in. So no matter what you're drinking, this fine spring mojito at Caparina, or if you're watching episodes of 30 Rock on Netflix, please keep dancing.